0: Celebratory Juneteenth, Uh, this is a month when we stop and we're able to celebrate uh, the liberation of both queer and black liberation, but also pause and remember how much further we have to go. Uh, And so today we celebrate and we remember uh, the journey that has been and the journey that will be, right? Uh, we're this this week as we're in a summer series on the parables of Jesus, and today we're going to be talking about uh, sort of the, an, an, ancient, an ancient parable story that sort of reveals deeper truths and stories that we've been talking about through this whole series, um, and it's about a sheep and a shepherd. When I was a kid, I would visit my cousin's farm, and on that farm there was a sheep. Well well done, well done. Those of you who are taking the all-church survey right now, put it away. Be present, be present, do that later on the subway. Um, and on this farm, there was a sheep, E-I-E-I-O, and I would always go and I would want to like get these sheep to listen to me because it was like my cousin had a superpower. I would go and I would stand at the sheep uh, sheep pen, sheep pen, and I would look in and I would say, I would call their names and I would beckon for them to come out and to, to follow me or to listen to me or do what I wanted, and they wouldn't. They would just stay in there. They would not come out, but as soon as my cousin came up and he would call their names, they would come out of that sheep pen and write to him. He would open the gate, they would follow him wherever he went, because they knew wherever he would lead them was going to be to the greenest land on the on the farm. And this is how they cut their grass. Every day he would lead them to a different area, and they would feast, and then the next day he'd lead them to another area where this beautiful green luscious grass and i thought it was amazing i just wanted the sheep to also follow my voice and do what i said because i was the bossy cousin um so instead i would just tell my cousin what to do and then he would tell the sheep what to do in our text today in john chapter 10 jesus uses the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd to describe our relationship with the divine let's read it together i invite us to stand on our feet if you would In some traditions, uh, people will read the the gospel reading together while standing, and I think it helps us all sort of uh, comprehend at times even better as well. So we'll read this aloud all together in one voice. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, And the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use the illustration didn't understand what he meant. So we explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. You may be seated. May God add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and understanding of this word. So it's interesting, not all the parables does Jesus explain to us, even when the disciples sometimes ask, like, what does this mean? He's like, I don't know, figure it out, right? Or or talk about it amongst yourselves, or it means many different things. He doesn't always provide an example or the explanation, but in this particular parable, he does do that. I think it's interesting to when you read this particular parable to realize that we um, are really far out of the context in New York City of sheep and shepherd. Um, while it was normal custom, of course, for there to be sheep running through the streets and through the fields there, we have rats running through ours. And so I think that it's probably worthwhile just explaining a little bit of historical context for uh, this, this particular illustration. So I would like us to, to learn a bit, a little bit from Ades Bonar, who help us understand shepherding in the Middle East. So something that's kind of interesting to know about sheep, folks, sheep will sleep all night in their pen in the protection of their pen because, quite frankly, if they don't have a pen and they're in an open field, they're much more vulnerable, right, to prey and attack and also be stolen, but also for their predators to come and get them in the night. So they they stay in this pen. It tries to keep it as tight and needy and, and clean as possible. And as they sleep all night and as the sun begins to rise... So do they. And they get more and more anxious and more and more excited because they haven't eaten all night. And you begin to hear them stir and begin to hear them moo. I mean, bah. Uh, you begin to hear them sort of move around in there waiting, waiting to be let out, led to a lush full of grass, somewhere shady where they can rest, maybe beside a peaceful stream. But what I think is even more interesting is a baby sheep. When a baby sheep is born... They have to attune their ear to the whispers of the shepherd, to the voice that they're supposed to listen to and follow. So when the shepherd would normally come in the morning and call their names and they would all come running out, ready to follow the shepherd, often the baby sheep doesn't quite know what's happening and doesn't quite know what voice to listen to or that that's a voice that they should follow. So usually the baby sheep, and maybe you've seen this if you've watched anything to do with animals and sheep, and or you've maybe perhaps you've gone to a petting zoo as a child i don't know our virtual members maybe you live in rural places and you know more about what this would be but that sheep as it begins to try to get out of the pen and here's the names being called it begins to sort of ram against the sides of the walls and you can hear it let all these little cries out because it's trying to sort of find its way and follow its voice and figure out what to do and how does it get out And then even as it begins to wander out and begin to follow the shepherd, its it's ears are still not quite accustomed to the voice of the shepherd. And so they can sort of wander off, and the the shepherd has to redirect and guide them both, perhaps with a staff or a hand or just with their voice. It takes time for these baby shepherds. But also, sometimes you may get a new sheep to become part of a new flock. Perhaps this is because the flock is sold or because perhaps somebody dies, the shepherd dies, but the sheep are still alive. And so somebody has to come and replace how, who will care for the sheep. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are pretty dumb. And sheep will only do and go where you guide them. If you don't guide them to greener pastures, they will not go find them on their own. They require someone to guide them, to care for them. And what I think is interesting when I hear that idea of, of the shepherd having to sort of train the ears of a new sheep amongst the people amongst the herd or whether that's a baby sheep or a grown sheep i can't help but stop and think about how we often have to train our ear to who we should listen to and not listen to in this world the voices that will lead us astray and the voices that will leave us to a life satisfying and abundant as jesus says he leads us to Let's read this a little bit, break it down here. We began reading today in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. Now, he translates what this means for us a few verses later in verse 8. He says, All who came before me were thieves and robbers. because okay, so who are the thieves and the robbers? All who came before Jesus. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Verse 10, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose it's to give them a rich and satisfying life. So who are the thieves in this, in this story sneaking into the sheep pen? Perhaps they are those who promote beliefs and practices that dehumanize. That's, that was on point. This isn't... I was like, nobody, are we ending the sermon? Do we not like that? Is that not good? dehumanize, so this, I realize, dehumanize, this isn't, you hear me preach about this pretty often, like how we can live in relationship with people who are different than us, this isn't about people who just think differently than us, or who preach or believe certain things maybe are different, or hold different politics than us. This isn't a debate about seven-day creationism or evolution. This isn't a debate about the disputed letters of Paul, or if things are predestined or not. This isn't a debate about if Jesus is coming back, or if there's a heaven or hell we've been talking a lot about. That's not what this is a debate about. This is of a debate about who are the people that promote ideals and beliefs that dehumanize someone. I think for me, that's where I've come to draw the line. Um, I can have a lot of different beliefs and theological opinions with somebody, but the minute that your belief isn't just a difference in opinion, but it actually dehumanizes someone, that's where I draw the line and I speak up. That's where I draw the line. It doesn't mean that I won't be in a relationship with you, but guess what? I'm going to be really cautious with you. I'm probably gonna, We're going to have a lot of hard conversations. I'm going to call you to... To think about things maybe in a way that's more thoughtful because maybe you don't see how your dehumanizing beliefs are causing harm. So there's a difference between certain beliefs and thoughts and dehumanizing belief. And I think Jesus is calling us in this to sort of think about what are the things that what are the beliefs that steal, kill, and destroy someone's life and joy. If something steal, kills, and destroys someone's life, life and joy, this is where Jesus is not in it. This is where it's the thief in the night coming to steal. Coming to kill, coming to destroy your humanity. And that's a different place to come and speak, to speak from. Uh, I had a, a sweatshirt, which I didn't wear tonight because I wanted to look super cute because it's pride. Um, and it says, bad theology kills. And it's from a book uh, written by Kevin Garcia, and he talks about how bad theology really causes harm to the flock. He says this is a quote, this is a quote about the book, and I'm, I'm going to recommend the book for those of us who are trying to make sense of maybe the bad theology that we've been ingrained with. He says, Kevin dives into some of the most common toxic belief patterns that are killing our communities, showing you how to undo them and how to create new and better theology to lead you back into your spiritual authority. Bad theology kills is the first step in leaving behind a religion filled with fear. And blossoming into the spirituality grounded in love. So, if you're on a journey of just trying to figure out how to undo the theology that kills and to replace it with something that gives life, this is a really great book that I think, um, for me, really offered some really great insight in navigating trying to make sense of all that. So, like, you maybe want me, to, maybe you want me to get more specific here. What are what are dehumanizing theologies? What are dehumanizing beliefs? What are some things specifically to name? Well, I think uh, the dehumanizing theology has often stolen and killed and destroyed those who are in the trans and non-binary communities, the gay and lesbian, bi, and pan communities. It's also created a strict and narrow prescriptive expectation around gender roles and monogamy and patriarchy and the unequal treatment of women and female-identifying folks. Let me pause there. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to add this. I remember when I came out and, and, and I gave a, a queer theology book to my grandma and she read it, and she came back and she's like, wow. I never realized that God might have a purpose for my life outside of just caring for your grandfather and raising my kids. My grandfather is gone, and her kids are all much older and rarely come around. And she doesn't have any purpose in life in her mind. She's just ready for heaven. Patriarchy, gender roles, stole that from her. She got a scholarship to be able to go to school to be a teacher. She gave it up because she believed and was taught that her role was to be at home with the wife, with her, as a wife and as a parent. It has dehumanized her to the point that she doesn't even think she has a purpose outside of their existence. Dehumanizing theology. The mistreatment of the Jewish people because of their cultural differences or historic baggage. baggage. Other ideas uh, of dehumanizing theology. Church discipline that exiles people from community instead of loving them. Historical practices of the church where they place institutions over people. In the prosperity gospel, believing that if you, don't, if you just have enough faith, then you'll be healthy and wealthy. Or you just give enough money, then you'll be healthy and wealthy. This, this idea that all of a sudden deeply ingrains and hurts those who are disabled as well to believe that because they're disabled, something is wrong with them and they don't have enough faith. Dehumanizing. Instead of realizing that perhaps it's not the people that are the problem, it's the culture. Retribution theology that causes people to declare war in the name of God. Dehumanizing. To be able to say, this person, I don't see the image of God, and instead I see them only as my enemy. An eye for an eye theology. A theology that denies the sacrament to divorce people and belittles single people and polices women's bodies. A theology that deeply ingrained, that, that, that is deeply ingrained prejudice and beliefs against ra- and have caused racial supremacy that gets both internalized in POC and in white people, knowingly and unknowingly. These types of theological beliefs are dehumanizing and they come to steal, kill, and destroy. And they don't come through the front door. They come over the side. They sneak in through the window. They come when you least expect it. They don't come looking nice with a familiar name. They come sneaky, dressed up, trying to pretend to be the shepherd. Just enough to trick you, to make you follow their voice. Remember that new sheep, they had to train their ears, and I can't help but stop and think about many of us, you know, when we were new sheep, whether that was born into a particular family, or we became new followers of Jesus and started to join a church, maybe we were part a new sheep and a new flock, and our, we had little baby ears, listening to whatever the preacher said listening to whatever our parents said, listening to whatever the Sunday school teacher said, and our ears were trained and accustomed to believe certain things and to follow certain voices. And it can be really, really hard as we get older to then all of a sudden turn from the familiar voice, turn from the comfortable place, even when you realize that that is the very voice that also is harming and hurting you. Why? Because it's familiar. Jesus is saying here, Jesus is saying here that it's often the toxic theologies that come in and they attack us and they steal, they kill, and they destroy because they're familiar, but they're not the things that actually lead to life. Verse 2, Jesus says, But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. I can't help but stop and think about Mary at the tomb. When Jesus says her name, she doesn't recognize him at first when he's resurrected. And then he says her name, Mary, Mary. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Just the saying of her name. He knew his sheep by name. She knew his voice. It wasn't the first time he'd said her name. And after he had gathered his own flock, it says he walks ahead of them and he follows them because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they don't know his voice. I think this is something worth highlighting here. There's actually some differentiation. There's the thieves and the robbers, but then also now there's a stranger. And the thieves and the robbers are different than the strangers. When I wanted to get those sheep to come out of that pen with my cousin, I wasn't a thief and a robber. I wasn't taking them back with me to the city. That wasn't going to happen. I wasn't interested in that. I just wanted them to listen to me, all right? I was a strange voice to them. I wasn't a thief and a robber. I was just a stranger. I was an unfamiliar voice that they weren't sure if they could talk to. And the unfamiliar voice, what that does, that unfamiliar voice, it causes confusion. It causes disruption, and so not everybody in our lives who shaped us or that we come across or the churches we've been a part of, not all of them were thieves and robbers out to hurt us with dehumanizing theology. Some of them were just strangers. Some of them just didn't know what they didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know at five years old calling to this sheep and how to get them to listen how this worked. But I was calling. I didn't know it was actually causing them anxiety and stress because they didn't know who was right outside and what, if that person caused them harm or not. Sometimes people don't know what they don't know. They don't know that their words are causing confusion and disruption and angst and anxiety and tension and pain, but they are. It's the strange voice that calls with good intentions but only causes confusion. Jesus is saying here that there are a lot of voices that are happening in this context when he's preaching. He says there's Pharisees and there's Sadducees and there's religious zealots and there's Roman officials and there's high priests. And there are people in power who are more fixated on protecting their institutions than their people. And I can't help but stop and pause and think about that after watching the Hillsong podcast, I mean a documentary, I can't stop and think about that and think about the two churches that were expelled from the Southern Baptist denomination just a few weeks ago because they had two female pastors of those churches and they decided it was time to clean house and we couldn't have female pastors. And about the cover-up of the hundreds of thousands of people molested in the Southern Baptist Convention as well as in the Roman Catholic Church and the cover-ups in the evangelical church by those in power who have abused and caused pain both with power and anger and money and sex. And how, how quick the church is to cover up it to protect the institution instead of the people. Jesus is saying there is a lot of people who out there who are thieves and robbers and strangers whose priority is not love whose priority is not a satisfying life who get so wrapped up in the celebrity pastor who get so wrapped up in the mega nature of their mission that they forget why they started to begin with the voices of the strangers ralph nalasco says this the shepherd didn't use force to keep the sheep following him in a particular direction Or impatient to go far ahead of his flock, leaving them abandoned, lost, or scattered. So, how do you know what you have believed or subscribed to isn't of God or is of God and is the shepherd's wise voice? It's because it's when the voice is baited with guilt and shame and manipulation, fear and aggression, force and peer pressure. That's not God. It's when there are conditions if you are welcomed, loved, or included. That's not God. It's when you find yourself abandoned, lost, and scattered. Not God because a shepherd doesn't leave his flock abandoned, lost, and scattered. It's when you find that your joy is stolen, your humanity is killed, and your free will is destroyed, that's not God, because that's not how our shepherd loves. That's not how our shepherd guides. John 10.10 says, this thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You may have noticed in the verse right before that when we were reading, it said that they are saved, that those who come to that shepherd are saved, right? Right? And many of us interpret that as like, oh, saved isn't they're going to heaven, right? It's interesting he says here they are saved, but more than that, it says they are given a rich and satisfying life. Guess what that means? That's referring to right now. You are saved in the now for a rich and satisfying life if you follow the shepherd's voice. I've said this before, but I'll say it again when Austin and I got back from Mexico City. I can't help but s- I had to share this illustration again because when we got back from Mexico City, I couldn't stop thinking about this little boy who I saw walking through the crowd, got separated from his dad. There were tons of crowds of people, and I could hear the father calling his his son's name. And the little boy was just pushing his way through all these legs, just kept following the voice of his, for his father, and then finally, I watched this all play out, so I, like, wanted to make sure this kid found his dad, because I could see the kid, I could see the dad, and I'm like, let's hope they get to each other, and finally, this kid, as soon as he gets closer and closer to that dad, he just picks up speed, he picks up speed, he picks up speed, and then all of a sudden, as soon as he gets to his dad, he just locks his arms around his dad's leg, and his, and he says, you're safe, you're okay, you're here now, and he just took this big, deep, <sighs> you know how kids are, they just, their whole body, <sighs> Honestly, sometimes when I'm stressed, I just do that. Like, I just need that, right? Like, we, we just hold the stress in our bodies. We just need to, can you just do that with me? <sighs> One more time. <sighs> <sighs> because we just hold it in our bodies, and kids somehow, just they just know, like, I just need to fully release this moment. Like, it's okay. I found my daddy. I found my parent. I followed his voice, that familiar voice. And let me tell you, it wasn't quiet either. There were lots of voices. There were lots of things happening. There was music happening. And this little boy tuned into his daddy's voice, and he just made a feline for that leg. And he locked on. Similar to the streets of Mexico City or New York City, so in the streets of Palestine, they would have been narrow and busy and full of people. At the time when the shepherd would have been leading them through the city, they didn't always stay in the fields. Sometimes they had to go to market. Sometimes they had to go to greener pastures, and that meant going through town because that was faster. And as, they lay, as the shepherd led them through the streets, it would have been easy to, be, to get lost or to get confused, but they had to zero in on the voice of the shepherd to get through the narrow streets to find themselves at greener pastures. Let me tell you, there are many voices dominating our world today. And one of the joys about coming to church is that it grounds you in the voice of your shepherd. It familiarizes you with the whispers of the Spirit. One of the things I love most about this church is the post-church sermon discussions. To hear all of the voices of people in our church sharing their experiences or their insights or their thoughts and it not just being focused on one pastor or two pastors or three pastors who preach all the time and they're the only ones who have authority and can speak into things but instead to be able to realize that the flock can speak and that the flock moves together and sticks together and that the flock can hear the whispers of the spirit and one of the other things i love about our church is that you can disagree with everything that we say up here and you can still belong. You don't have to agree to belong here. The beauty of this is that you get to attune your ear to the whispers of the Spirit, that you are invited. As I was watching the Hillsong documentary with Austin, he kept getting so frustrated. You know, he didn't grow up in church, and he said, I don't understand. I don't understand why people would want to go to Hillsong when right down the street is Forefront Church. He's like, all these young people, like they, they want a gay-affirming church. Red Rover, Red Rover, come on over. <laughs> like, I don't understand. Where, where, why are they not there? And I said, honestly, there are many reasons, but one of the reasons that I know that for me why I stayed so long was because it was comfortable not having to think about everything and every little detail and every little belief somebody just told me. I just took it and I regurgitated it, and that's our American culture. That's how we do tests. That's how we do education. We don't often teach people how to think critically. We say, here's the data. Give it back to me in an essay and in a quiz. But what if we were a people that actually had to train our own ears like a sheep to the voice of the shepherd and not just to the voice of the thieves and the strangers and the robbers? What if we had to actually do the work to discern what we believe and what we think? What if that changed everything? What if that changed everything? This morning's parable, for me, it captures my own journey. And I hope that you see your own journey in it as well. It's a daily journey. It's a weekly journey. It's an hourly journey. It's not something that you just do and arrive, but it's a constant following of the shepherd's voice and attuning yourself to it and protecting yourself against it. But also knowing that you don't protect yourself alone, but that you stand amongst a herd and you stand amongst a shepherd who cares deeply for you. My very first pride march, as I wrap up the sermon and invite the worship team to come, my very first pride march was seven years ago. It was in Chicago, and I marched with a church. It was uh, one of the first affirming churches I was a joy to be a part of. And I was really nervous and anxious, partly because I was, like, I was, just, I was a, still a very conservative gay. And I was like, I don't want to be one of those gays that wear like sequined shirts that are like, kind of see-through and like five-inch shorts like no I had a hoodie on I had sweatpants like I was like I am all black I'm not gonna be one of those gays like I'm here I'm queer but I'm not gonna let everybody know it and so I was so worried about being perceived in that way and I didn't want people on my social media to be like see this is look, look look where he's at he's just one of those gays I was just so nervous but I went, and I marched, and I was, I was anxious, too, about how the experience would be, and I remember we made, this, we made this one corner, and as we made the corner, I could see the Westboro Baptist Church on the corner with their signs, you know, God hates fags and all of these things. And I saw them with their megaphones, and I thought, oh, man, I've got I to brace myself for, for this, you know, like, this is, this is intense. And I was so raw and so fresh from just recently having been rejected by my faith communities and, and so afraid, too, of, of folks like that. And as we got closer and closer, I, I, I just prepared myself for the things that I might hear them scream. But as we got closer, I began to notice something. While there were like 15 people from Westboro Baptist, there were like 50 people from churches in the Chicagoland area that had these queer affirming shirts on. And they were standing in front of the Westboro Baptist and everybody had microphones and everybody had signs. And they were so loud that I could not even hear Westboro Baptist. Their shirt said, love is louder. And they were louder that day. And as I made that corner, I kept thinking, I wonder all of the queer people who aren't churched that are walking by here today, I hope that they see this, these churches that showed up to say, no, 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 you are not gonna be the only voice that the queer community hears. Church, that is our call. Mm-hmm. There are people in churches who are dehumanized, not just for queer stuff. I hope, you, I hope you've seen that in this sermon today, the things we've talked about. But they are dehumanized across the board, and we get to be the church that says, love is louder. We get to be the church that holds up and says, no, we're going to drown you out. We're going to help people attune their voice to the shepherd's voice, to the voice of love and a life full of joy and satisfaction. As we come to the communion table today, we will receive the gifts of communion. um, But as we do that, I'm going to invite those who might be interested in coming out today come out of the sheep pen come out gay lesbian trans poly whatever it may be asexual if you feel like you just want to let the world know if you feel like the church is the place that silenced you and told you you could never come out you could never claim your identity maybe you're already out but you just want to be able to find the healing of standing in a church to be able to say, in this church, in this place, I'm going to say this thing about myself and know that I am safe and it is good and it is beautiful. That can be healing when you have spent so much of your life in a church where you couldn't say that, where you were silenced and quieted. So even if you are out, and it would just be healing to come up here and say, church, I'm queer. Church, I'm gay. Church, whatever it is. I trust that it would heal something inside of you today. Would you listen to the whispers of the shepherd calling you out, calling you to come out and to follow God to a greener pasture? As you come, you receive the elements. There's both juice and cracker. For those of you who are interested in coming out, you can gather on the side of the stage. We have little flags for different people who identify different ways. And when you come up, you can hold that and share that aloud on the mic. Um, but we would love for you to just come out and share that with Reverend Vanita. She'll meet you over here, and and just get you comfortable and ready, and explain kind of what will happen when you come up, and, and just help you take a breath and celebrate with you. So you'll grab your elements if you're interested in coming out. The rest of you take your elements back to your chair, hold them. Please don't take them yet. Let's take them together. Communion is a communal experience. Get it? And so we want to be able to do that and celebrate in that together. Uh, I invite you now to come. Receive the elements and know that you are loved. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.